0: Hello and you're very welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShaw.net. End of year special, the top 20 moments of 2020. Hello, hello, Uh, it's Simon Lewis here from OnShaw.net with my uh, top 20 moments of 2020 in the education system with a dash of COVID-19 thrown in. This has been the weirdest year of my career. Um, Back this time last year, um, I was already for um doing my review of 2019 and thinking about my 2020 vision as i want uh, uh, as, as people are calling it i don't think anyone would have seen the way things were about to go when a virus uh, emerged somewhere in wuhan in china and little did we know a few months later uh, it would have shut our primary schools buildings down and we would have all gone from um, being offline teachers to online teachers and remote learning and distance learning and blended learning all became tools of the trade asynchronous teaching synchronous teaching lots and lots of different language that we would never have used before and uh, who would have thought that we would have had zoom graduations and all that sort of stuff Um, I am going to look at my top 20 moments of uh, 2020 with the help of my followers on Twitter who have very kindly gave me loads of ideas for this podcast. So a big thank you to all the teachers and SNAs and other staff that work in schools who shared their experiences of 2020. Um, Just so you know, um, this is a primary school uh, podcast uh, if we don't concentrate on second level and as tempting as it would be Uh, I would imagine if you asked uh, people on the street what their top education moment would have been of the COVID era, they would have said the debacle of the Leaving Cert. But uh, it does not qualify for this podcast. Uh, I will say uh, that Joe McHugh's and Norma's handling of the Leaving Cert was probably, though, a very good symbol of how the Department of Education generally performed in terms of COVID-19. I suppose a series of total indecision, trying to take the easy way out of everything at every opportunity uh, before basically cocking up time and time again i think it's probably a good symbol however while 2020 wasn't just about covid 19 either i am going to go through my top 20 moments in primary education which were all linked to covid 19. so that means there will be some notable exclusions from my list for example the big news that secretaries pay was finally agreed to be uh, regularized thanks to the huge work of uh, forsa the trade union for uh, secretaries and there is also this series of the usual mess ups from the NCSE and uh, the NCSE are surprisingly not mentioned very much in this uh, episode they'll be glad to know but particularly uh, they were not mentioning them but uh, uh, but they're left out of my top 20 you know particularly you know the cases of south dublin special classes which is one of many many cock-ups from the ncse and uh i'm leaving out of course uh, towards the very end of the year the into preparing themselves to do battle with its own members uh trying to get a very bad pay deal over the line uh which is where their year is ending so anyway with those out of the way um i want you maybe to sit back and relax well actually this this isn't going to be relaxing at all um So maybe just sit back. Uh, This might be something, uh, I don't know, if you're driving home to see family (laughs) to Christmas, if you want to get to your loved ones, your family, full of rage and full of anger. You know, you might even be crying by the time you get to the door of your loved ones' houses. You you just sit back and seethe your way through these top 20 moments in primary education in 2020. Mm -hmm. I decided I'll do these uh, 20 moments in no particular order. Um, I'm not doing like in 20th place or in 19th place. I'm just picking 20 moments and trying to maybe recreate the story of uh, COVID-19 in primary education uh, to see how it works. Um, rather than saying that uh, this is in any particular order, if that makes uh, absolute sense, which it probably doesn't. However, we will start off with um, our, my number one moment Uh, which was home learning, remote learning, distance learning, whatever you wanted to call it, but at the end of the day, trying to teach your own children. Yes, this uh, was uh, a new world for many parents who found themselves uh, becoming teaching assistants um, in their own homes as teachers began to uh, try and help children cover the curriculum remotely um and as they were doing so uh trying to learn new skills and we also saw that new subjects emerged in the curriculum during uh the, during uh covid season uh, namely baking um and household chores uh, were were two of them and watching joe wicks on youtube um, but there were other things there were virtual sports days virtual assemblies virtual scavenger hunts because teachers did what teachers do best and they innovatively think of ways to help children learn despite all the obstacles in our way. I have to say it was an amazing um thing to see really as as we just did it. We managed to with with no training, no ideas uh, of what to do we'd no resources and what we all we knew was we had this tool called zoom we had things called seesaw and google classroom many of us of us hadn't used them at all before we were um, became filmmakers as we tried to video ourselves on youtube and make pre-recorded videos um, on screencastify all these kind of things as well but somehow we just did it and um and, and we did it well i mean we did it really well as much as we could and parents as well did their bit to keep teachers' spirits up, and they recorded brilliant videos for us, pleading with the government to open the schools again, asking them to quadruple our wages, or offering to even sanitize their own children in sheep dip just to get them out of the house. Um, and in in homes, including my own, all rules about TV watching, too much TV, playing Fortnite, or eating sugar-filled treats they all went out the window i <clears throat> i remember actually um speaking of that i remember i was um actually giving a seminar um to i think there was like 400 principals on at the time it was a it was a i can't remember it was one of the mornings in, in early april and i was training them how to do remote learning in their schools i i, I our school is one of the first schools to engage in remote learning in, in in a major way so i was just telling them about our experience We had 400 principals on zoom and it was about 10 o'clock in the morning and i'd asked my son basically uh, because i need uh, i needed him just to get out of the way so i told him go on go on there and watch the telly and just do not come near me and about 10 minutes in a little head popped in the door holding the biggest chocolate ice cream i think it was a magnum um, i'd ever seen i didn't even i actually didn't even know we had them in the house um and there, <laughs> and there he was with the big gir- uh, smirk on his face and there was me hurriedly unwrapping the said ice cream in front of 400 principals basically admitting to them that they were witnessing the worst father in the world and I imagine behind me as I was unwrapping that wrapper there was a little 5 year old with a very big grin knowing exactly what he was at Anyway, let's move on to number two. And uh, this was uh, SNAs being hired by the W... Or not by the WSE. Um, No, by the HSE. Uh, Yep. Um, Initially, uh, during this uh, outbreak, around the early uh, April, um, the Department of Education kind of had a feeling... That SNAs weren't working for some reason because they were, um, and they were working really well. They were engaging with the children that they were taking care of every day, um, through phone calls, through Zoom, through all sorts of uh, things. So, uh, but instead of asking them what they were doing, they basically said, "We're going to send all the SNAs off to work in nursing homes." Um, so uh, there you go, and um, that 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 didn't happen, obviously, because. It was a a mad idea. We needed our SNAs working in our schools. So uh, instead of that, they said, and you know what, we'll redeploy you to do contact tracing. And um, that didn't happen. And then um, after that, principals got a letter saying, "Uh, by the way, you're no longer managing uh, SNAs anymore. Um, The HSC will be managing the SNAs. Could you give me all their names and their phone numbers, please? And we'll take it from here. And then they didn't actually manage the, uh, SNAs at all or give them any work to do so the SNAs kind of just kept doing what SNAs were doing which was looking after children's care needs in the fantastic way that they always do and actually when I come to think of it I don't know if they're if they if the HSE ever gave them back to schools um I, I don't remember ever seeing any P45s <laughs> anyway uh, that's i wonder i wonder if could anyone answer that one anyway as a big thank you for their service um uh, because the government obviously were very appreciative of the fact that they just took their job off them gave them a new employer um before um not doing anything Um, what they did was uh to thank them so much the government reminded them that to make sure that they worked the 72 extra hours which no one can really figure out the, way, the reason for anyway so uh that that was a uh, number two number three well online graduations and rogue schools well we didn't know in March that the lockdown was going to carry on for so long um, and unfortunately it wiped out the entire uh, school year which meant that it looked like that six classes around the country were not going to be able to celebrate that rite of passage of leaving primary school and thus the zoom graduation was born and most schools around the country took the time to record special messages and we even had some celebrities joining in to send them their well wishes via these Zoom uh, uh, graduations. Uh, Ryan Tuberty, uh, to be fair to him, recorded hundreds of messages to 6th class pupils around uh, around the country. Um, However, doing us no favours at all, um, unfortunately, were some schools that broke the lockdown rules and actually held physical graduations in June um and some of them were so elaborate they actually ended up on rte on the news and to me and i, I suppose this oh as i i i forgot to mention some of these are uh, aren't going to be too lighthearted um and uh but anyways uh, this this is one of them for me i felt the graduation uh, fiasco was a very was a great demonstration in the dark side of primary schools in a way and and generally in uh, schools in general uh to me the um most schools 90% of schools or 99% of schools in june said to their sixth class listen i'm really sorry we can't give you a proper graduation nobody was happy you know everyone was everyone was, was a bit dismayed about it but i mean most people accepted the fact that this is the way it was however unfortunately there were some schools who decided to run them anyway which was against the law and if anything had have happened during them they wouldn't have been insured so if someone had broken their leg on a bouncy castle um their insurance company wouldn't have provided any cover for them but to me it just demonstrated the lack of collegiality and i go about this uh, on my normal podcast but within even small school communities in similar areas for example i i I knew one village um where there's three schools one of them decided to follow the lockdown rules as he should have and didn't do a live graduation and the principal of that this school I know spent weeks asking local celebrities and public figures to wish the children in the school um, all the very best for their graduation and it was a really I, I actually saw the video that was made and it was ama- it was really really good I mean there were lots of um, you know I mean people really t- he took a huge amount of time to do this and he published a really heartfelt and genuine graduation ceremony for the children to view it was lovely the other two schools threw on full-on face-to-face graduation parties And guess what? Guess who spent the next few weeks batting off email complaints from parents? I tell you, it wasn't uh, the principal that spent all that time um, making such an effort to make it as special as it possibly could within the laws. He was the one that was getting all the letters of complaint while the other two schools were lauded for breaking the law. Number four, how sick is sick? Now, (laughs) I'd forgotten about this uh, to be honest with you but it was one of the big questions when we were going back to school was what symptoms would you be needing to look out for as signs of COVID-19 and in a way we've sort of you know everyone had this big uh, like a sheet of paper with like all the symptoms on it and in a way we've kind of not that we've forgotten about it but uh, we've sort of absorbed it into our minds uh, by osmosis but I remember um parents were hoping to do anything they possibly could to get their children back to school now remember this was the this was the big news i mean we're back to school a few uh, a few months now so we forgot I, I think some of us have forgotten how desperate we were or how desperate parents were including myself to get kids back to school and one thing that i remember was that any cough was bad if there was a cough you, you know that was bad you, you didn't you didn't go to school a high temperature was another one like no way and uh, you know you had um it was kind of funny the high temperature thing is was, was a bit strange because there were some schools um, who uh, basically were going to take temperatures of children coming in uh, to make sure of it and then there was this anti-vaxxer group um, who somehow convinced parents that um, if they wrote a letter to schools basically banning them from taking the temperature of their children that this would be a thing but anyway the advice was not to be taking temperatures in schools and, and 99% of schools didn't take children's temperatures which is which is the right thing to do but uh, a high temperature anyway was a sure sign of do not come to school a fever and uh, i would imagine and i i don't know I mean, now i was not one of these parents uh, just for the record but i would imagine there were a few parents out there planning on tanking their kids up with neurofen and calpal 20 minutes before heading on the school bus and then switching their phones off for the day now, I don't know if that really happened. Oh, gosh, it would be very naughty if they did. But the one thing that everyone became obsessed with, it, I don't know if you remember this, was runny noses. <laughs> because it was deemed that just having a runny nose and nothing else was okay. Um, and um, I, I, I just thought, I, I, I think it was a question that, t- um, I don't know if Tony Holland was on his break at the time, but um, the big question out there was, are runny nose is okay, what about runny noses? I just thought it was, very, it was a very Irish thing a runny nose, isn't it? Um anyway, I'm sure there was hundreds of phone calls from schools to parents asking them to collect their very unwell child and the parent basically saying, Ah, oh no, he only has a runny nose. Moment five the ministers behind the pandemic, now, as different as Foyle and Fina gael like to think they are, if an alien landed on Earth and was asked to analyze the difference between Joe McHugh and Norma Foley. I think it's very likely that they would return with the verdict that the only difference they could ascertain was they were a different gender to each other. But in all other aspects, they were exactly the same. Now, the marriage of Fina and Fina Gael, um, I, I suppose you can, you, you, you know, I, I don't think it's controversial to say it was as dull as one might have expected. And as Fina Gael passed on the batons of governing to the country, to Fina while still remaining in government, one wouldn't have been surprised if they didn't notice there were different um ministers in charge of education that is if you were the um if you were anybody really um not looking however they both gave us a couple of gems well you know that was when we, when we could find them yes joe and norma's special talent and they had a habit of disappearing for uh, long tracts of time uh, where you couldn't find them in fact we had games like where's joe and where's norma on the you know in the, in the vein of uh, where's wally however when they did emerge some of my favorite spin uh of 2020 came from them remember uh joe uh, joe McHugh's bespoke solutions for opening schools which basically turned out to be just turf them all in you know keep keep the owl fingers crossed maybe i also love joe McHugh's promise uh of clear and concise guidelines which took almost three months to actually come out and uh they certainly were concise uh but they weren't clear. Um, Well, they weren't even concise, actually, when I think of it now. If you look at that return to schools guidelines, oh my God. Um, Anyway, Norma Foley uh, talked relentlessly uh, at the beginning of her uh, regime about significant funding being given to schools, which turned out to be less than the bare minimum that was needed. Although secondary schools did manage to get double the minor works grant and triple the ICT grant than primary schools. However, most of the time, she was flat out busy as she reported to a journalist who started asking her difficult questions however the ministers weren't left on their own the Taoiseach of the day were also weighed in with their opinions on schools and early in the pandemic Leo Vradkar, who was the Taoiseach at the time was doing his best to try and be nice to teachers I think his spin doctors are going just be nice just 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 don't seethe just just be nice so he spoke about schools reopening and, and the clear and concise guidelines that we put in place and then when he was challenged by a journalist about principals being worried that the guidelines weren't clear enough and they were worried uh, you know about what they do when there was a case in their school he was very reassuring As I'm sure a lot of you can remember Leo Radkar and his uh, reassurance um, he reassured the nation by saying now look if there was a case of COVID-19 in a school you know would it be the teacher's fault and he said probably not very reassuring That was the strongest he could possibly bring himself. Not Michal Martin though. No, he's a former teacher himself and he made a grand old speech praising the old teachers and telling us that we were now frontline workers. The trouble is when it actually came to treating us like frontline workers, you know, small things like providing us with PPE gear instead of us having to provide our own or maybe giving us access to the flu vaccine or even more recently prioritizing teachers for the COVID-19 vaccine well we didn't even manage to get key worker status and yes we are still providing our own ppe number six the media yep from the day uh, we closed down the media were on our backs um and f- even f- and we did have a little bit of a uh, reprieve for a little bit of time but um I suppose the first bit of the media that came out on March the 12th was our friend Kira Kelly from News Talk, who were claiming the teachers were out partying on March the 12th and saying we were off for six months, um, which was lovely of her. And then we had uh, Jen O'Connell who decided that uh it would be if that teachers needed to take a leaf out of the hairdresser's books and uh they would like hairdressers maybe to run schools uh instead of teachers which was a very fun time when we uh when teachers responded by saying yes that's a really good idea we should take a leaf out of the hairdresser's book we'll only allow one person uh, one child in at a time uh they'll have to book their time in uh, to see us uh will obviously be provided with ppe and um we'll make sure that uh, there's a bit of screen between us and the children uh we'll also make sure that um we only have half the staff in the uh, in the building at the time as well anyway we went on uh, uh, to uh, refute that uh and jen o'connell deleted her twitter account for a while maybe not because of that but i think uh, she she went a little bit Do you know when someone just goes too far and um you know you have you have two choices you can keep fighting or you can say do you know what I've gone too far well she kept going until she couldn't take it anymore I felt I mean for such a fine journalist and I I I mean before COVID-19 I thought she was one of the one of the, one of our nicest, and one of our, our best journalists. But really, I I, I felt she went. Um, uh, she lost. She lost. Uh, she lost the run of her. Uh, I, I. lost the run of herself. It's disrespectful. She. She. She just. I think she went the wrong way, and it was a shame. But uh, we had our um our old reliables like Ivan Yates and Catherine Donnelly and Brenda Power and other journalists like that who decided everything was all their teachers and their unions' faults. And the fact that Denmark went back to school early Made them go into overdrive I remember an interview with Ivan Yates With the Danish uh, union leader Who basically showed Our Irish union, our Irish trade union, the INTO Actually how to have a mature relationship With the government Yeah, I mean they should have taken a little bit of leaf out of that Even Ivan Yates was impressed today fm uh just towards the end here i suppose uh because i don't want to go on too much about the media but uh they they just did their review of the year and to just add salt to our wounds uh they gave um the heroes of the year they gave their award to all frontline workers and they listed them um but you know you know from nurses to doctors to retail workers and um, cleaners it, they, they didn't put in teachers into that list however In fairness, the media weren't all bad. Uh, One hero of the media was Zara King, uh, who constantly challenged how safe schools were. And one of her most infamous interviews was with the health minister, Stephen Donnelly, who tried to weasel out of a challenge about the the high risk in schools with a retort, sure, you know, getting into a car is a risk. Yeah, everything's a risk. Number seven, it was the hashtags of the um, stakeholders. Hashtag, flags for frontline workers and hashtag grma day well let me talk to you a little bit about what our representatives decided to do to cheer us up as a as as a group of teachers and everyone else working in schools uh, the first one flags frontline workers was a frankly bizarre campaign. It sounded like it was dreamed up in a brainstorming session at the very, very last minute before. You know, the you remember. So some of you would know that Zoom has a 40-minute time limit, um, and um, and um, and basically, it sounded like they were like it was. It was basically held like a minute before the Zoom call was about to end. And one day, out of the blue, uh, schools were just sent this really badly designed photograph uh of a school with flags outside it asking them to ask pupils to fly flags outside their houses in their county colors to show solidarity with frontline workers now i'm sure their intentions were good and all but this was done at a time when the only thing teachers wanted from their stakeholders the into the ipv and all that was advice on what to do now that we're out of school buildings and being asked to teach remotely with no access to our books no access to any resources and instead of doing that they were told to fly flags outside their house, and unsurprisingly, that campaign was a total failure. With almost all agencies that put their name to it quietly hoping nobody noticed, except for one who declared it a major success. But, um, anyway, um, but come to think of it, that campaign reminded me of one of those, you know, and I think I said this at the time, it reminded me of a situation like, <laughs> do you know, when um. Uh, I, I I'm laughing now because I, I remember I said this at the time. The, you know the managers of the company they have this big important meeting and they want to give a, a TY student a bit of real life experience so they bring him into the meeting. And because it's fashionable to ask work experience people their opinion, they said, you uh, know, hey Tyg, what, what, what do you think would be helpful to keep everyone's spirits up? You know, you're you're young and uh, and everything. You know, you're 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 in tune with the gang." And um and Tyg, sixteen year old, there says, "Why don't you put flags outside their houses?" You know, that, that's kind of what that day reminded me of. It was just such a dopey idea. But um, anyway, uh, it gave us a laugh. Uh, well, it gave me a laugh Um, uh, as after I cringed. But Gourav Mahagut Day, uh, GRMA Day, was another brainwave of the lads. Um, And I don't know if Tyg was involved in this one either, the 16-year-old TY student. But he decided... That the best way to make sure principals, teachers, SNA, secretaries, cleaners, caretakers and anybody else who set foot in a school would be uh, would uh, would be to force celebrities to record a video to say thank you to all those people. And in my special podcast <clears throat> episode about that day, I compared the day to be like when you give a child sweets and then you make them say thank you. You, you know, that's that's kind of like, you know, it, it just doesn't feel that good. You know, when you give, you know, as, I. It, you know, compared to when you give a child sweets and they genuinely say thank you don't you know, ask them to say thank you you know, and, and that's what the day was like we knew that the teacher, the group of teachers were asking people to thank teachers you know, and they wouldn't have thanked us you know, without being forced to ask us basically anyway, the day was roundly rejected by primary schools who basically said, you know gore day, thanks but no thanks number eight the scurrying school meals saga that's a lot of S's one of the other curiosities um, of our of our lockdown was the school meals program, and the fact that everyone, apart from um, I suppose everybody, um, apart from the organisation that's actually responsible for providing school meals um, to uh, dash schools, was flat out blizzy, Sorry, flat out busy trying to run some sort of scheme for children who would have received school meals i I actually you know it was a kind of a really really strange one you know like we were, we were like most schools were i mean I, I i'm a dash school i'm in a dash school and we provide a school meals program and um i mean ultimately you know it wasn't it, it wasn't a massive effort like it wasn't something you know if some if, if the department of social protection had have said to us we're continuing the school meals program you know If you can get the company that you work with to provide it you know to send it out to houses or if you can provide some way of getting them picked up from the school or whatever it might be like we we would have done it like it wasn't that big a deal but i've never seen so many people and so many organizations so busy trying to sort out a problem that had actually nothing to do with them while the department of social protection didn't really do anything at all except put roadblocks in the way And, and possibly the best analogy of the cliche of too many cooks spoiling the broth everyone from the IPPN to Sinn Féin to Unpust got over-involved in what ended up it was a very simple logistical arrangement which most DASH schools would have been able to deal with and if they put the same amount of effort into the plan for actually reopening schools we actually would have had the plans by the May Bank holiday to be honest with you but scurry they did and while children did get school meals I don't think the effort that was put in for it was as necessary as it was uh, as as it turned out but look I suppose, if to put a positive spin on this scurrying story, there were children of uh, in families who may have um needed uh, the the extra food, and in fairness, uh, through the work of Unpust mainly, who delivered thousands and thousands of boxes of food, uh, to family homes, uh, they got there and uh, well done to um, Unpust mainly, and to the principals of schools who effectively managed uh, the affair along with the uh, companies they may have been working with. Number nine, Snoolingo. Yep, flattening the curve will probably be the cliche of the early part of the pandemic. Uh, But in schools, we found ourselves with two main new words, pods and bubbles. Now, pods, for those of you who didn't know, was a new name put on for groups groups of tables and bubbles was a new name for classrooms now there was absolutely no need for these new words um because we had the word groups and we had the word classrooms which were doing a fine job of describing themselves um but schools took them on just because we were told to um and we were saying things like well done to the orange pod you get a dojo point now let's leave our bubble to go outside to the giant sphere which was the new name for yard but, No, actually that wasn't the new name should have done that though that would have been fun number 10 the department of education and their wonderful communication i'm a poet and I, i am a poet um when it finally got released in august the government guidance for reopening of schools became the new bible for schools yes and we had less than four weeks to figure out how to open safely now the guidelines were sparse on details so schools basically had to make up their own response plans and risk assessments However for me the highlight of the reopening schools guidelines and they were sparse enough was the following advice that staff should not attempt to take sanitizer or PPE out of their schools. Yes that was in the guidelines and one of the hi- many highlights actually uh, that uh, were shared with me on Twitter uh, yeah, uh, uh, yesterday before I'm recording this. The guidelines didn't actually come out in august um even though i keep saying they did they did come out on the very last day uh friday uh evening of july uh just after six o'clock which was the style of the time um just to quote abe simpson from the simpsons yes the department of education felt the best time to release any circulars and any changes and any notices about uh the covid 19 in schools was a friday evening uh, around six o'clock and some of the classic releases of our time were advice on how to complain about teachers for not doing remote learning properly despite never giving any training or resources to school to allow teachers to do the remote learning. Or I particularly enjoyed getting my Christmas concert advice right near the end of December. And um, curriculum planning advice was released um, towards the middle of October, a full month and a half after schools had already started doing teaching. And in the middle of the summer, of course, the hashtag Feed the Hens was started uh, as a use for these Friday night uh, releases um, because apparently hens like sleeping on treaded paper. Who knew? Number 11 John Boyle threatening that some schools wouldn't be able to take in all their classes due to supersized classes. Yes, with tiny classrooms and supersized classes, we were no Denmark, which was the country that sent their kids back to school first in the world. And despite the fact that class sizes in Denmark were no more than 15 children in normal times, uh, and that the schools were using secondary school buildings to ensure classes were split in two, the media seemed to be wondering why on earth Irish schools couldn't be more like Denmark, for goodness sake. Everyone also seemed to be holding meter sticks for some reason, and I actually don't know where they found them, to be honest. In any case, John Boyle was on the radio going on about his supersized classes, where schools—I love just putting on that voice—where schools would do their best to ensure most children would come to school, but in supersized classes, some children simply wouldn't be able to come to school. There wouldn't be room. Principals and teachers would have to turn them away because we wouldn't be able to fit them into these tiny classrooms, where you where you know we couldn't have the 30 30 children in, and uh, that would be just it. As that's it. No way, No questions. Absolutely not. Uh, no way. And all sorts of other things like that. So anyway, yeah. So, so uh, as you can imagine, not a single child was turned away from a primary school in the country. Well done, supersized classes. Number twelve. The hand sanitizer fail. Picture the scene. You have inadvertently, potentially poisoned a load of children. Ha! <laughs> Easy mistake, eh? Well, anyone could do that, couldn't they? Well that's basically where the Department of Education found themselves the night before the midterm break when at around 10:30 p.m. they released a statement telling schools to check their hand sanitizer stations for Virapro, one of the recommended hand sanitizers from the government's procurement list. Um it contained a chemical called methanol, not ethanol, mm, methanol, which is actually poisonous. Whoops. And if things couldn't get any worse, um you know, it was also the night before what is traditionally a kind of a dress-up day in schools it was probably the only time that children were going to be able to get into their halloween gear because they weren't allowed to trick-or-treat thanks to covid19 so a lot of schools weren't able to open because of this mistake um which was awful for the children because i think they were i mean do you know the way you were schools became kind of the only place where a child could feel a little bit of normality even if it wasn't particularly normal um and You know there was a number of schools that actually closed on the last day of term uh, as children i suppose missed out on that little day but anyway what can one do but as if things couldn't get any worse a few days into the midterm break when principals had their first day off since possibly january the department of education found that a load more of their procured sanitizing products were also potentially dangerous hence cancelling every principal's midterm break which as i said was their first break in about nine months and a third of schools were affected by the sanitizer issue and naturally as you can imagine because of this the representative bodies were up in arms i mean one mistake is fair enough but two is simply careless well i am sure you will not be surprised to hear the unions were livid They were screaming blue murder at the Department of Education for taking principals first time off in months away from them and putting people's lives in danger. It was, oh, the outrage. Yeah, didn't say a word. Number 13, principals with principals. Speaking of which, principals of primary schools will never forget this pandemic. (laughs) That's possibly the statement of the year. Anyway, principals basically were forced to work 24-7, more or less. Out of the blue, during contact tracing, an email came to school looking for the principal's personal mobile phone number so that the HSE could contact them anytime they wanted if they heard there was a case, any time at all. And basically this meant the principals were on call 24-7-365. So I'm almost I think I'm 99.9% sure that no other job in Ireland exists where you are expected to be on call 24, day, 24 uh, hours a day, seven days a week, every single day of the year. Now, maybe I may be the chief state pathologist, I think, I, I, I don't know, um, is one exception. But I don't think there's many, many jobs out there where you're actually expected to be on call all the time. I mean, I suppose, thankfully, though, the IPPN and the IT were out on the streets rioting as a result of this. Not a sound, not even a Twitter or a tweet. They were both, you know, I, I imagine they were both probably still celebrating their big win uh, when finally teaching principals were given one day per week to do their admin work. Um, and funnily enough, I nearly had this uh, the whole thing about the one day a week being one of my top 20 moments of 2020. But because the reaction to it was so muted, I'm giving it a tiny mention here because, you know, really at the end of the day, all it took was a global pandemic for the government to finally give teaching principals the bare minimum release time to catch up on admin work. And given that there's been no mention of it in the re- recent budget, there's no guarantee it's actually going to remain in place once the pandemic ends. So I mean just if you're a teaching principal, I wouldn't be um I, I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't be presuming that's going to remain in place. And I've mentioned this, I mentioned this because 2021 is going to be an interesting year, obviously um and i haven't heard the union or the IPPN mentioning that as an absence from budget 2021 however away from all that because being perfectly frank it's getting depressing talking about the future of and uh, uh, <laughs> and also the failure of the unions to do anything to keep schools safe it was the principles of a number of schools um who effectively improved even if only slightly the whole contacting tracing model in schools um, and just to highlight three schools uh, one of which remains anonymous uh, because it was the first i suppose but in it was in dublin so that narrows it down uh where a principal found himself waiting four days for the HSE to contact him to go through the tracing of a positive case in his school um and this was uh, a case which um basically made a small change to the way contact tracing happened Um, The principal did try and get the IPPN and the INTO to help him out uh, But rather than helping they actually did nothing and worse and I'm going to criticize the IPPN here They refused uh, to post his plea on their mailing list Which would have alerted to other principals that the HSE tracking and tracing was actually not up to scratch Instead what he did is he went to unofficial groups um, Like voice for teachers like the national principal forum and me uh, in onshaw.net where I shared his story yes the one that the ippn refused to publish and in a somewhat kind of bruise to my own ego in the 15 years that i've been running on sha.net i have never had such a popular post on my website than this one it was viewed by over 50,000 people and shared over 500 times and as a result of this post i was told um i suppose from it we were told that improvements would be made or so we thought Because, I mean, although small improvements were made, and it wasn't four days before the HSE would get in touch with his school, by December, the principal of Claremorris Boys School found himself with 16% of his school testing positive with COVID-19. However, the HSE refused to advise him to close his school despite this, and given that he has absolutely no subs and the situation was so precarious, he and his board decided to make um, the decision to close his school. The Department of Education then forced them to reopen and it led to the hashtag I support Claire Morris hashtag on Twitter. The uh, situation raised the question really as to who actually runs schools, boards of management or the Department of Education and it really made a mockery of the whole HSE contact tracing again. And finally, in the last few days, Port Leash Educate Together had a large outbreak which again changed tracing in schools. Until then, if there was a close contact in a class, the rest of their household were not considered close contacts. You know, go figure. However, this has now changed because of the school's um, situation. The INTO, by the way, didn't contact the Claremora School until the principal raised the fact the INTO did not contact contact the Claremora School. The INTO released a statement saying they were supporting schools. So, yeah, that was a bit of a long one, Number 13 maybe that's an appropriate number it's an unlucky one number 14 martina bro versus the hse one of the biggest heroes of COVID 19 in schools is not a teacher um she's a woman who found herself um in a situation really that i suppose she didn't ask herself to be put in and she found herself in this situation because there was a decision by nfet not to publish the names of schools with COVID 19 outbreaks and this really jarred with her. And she took it upon herself to try and record every school in the country with COVID-19 cases. And in one of the most interesting episodes, for me anyway, of the pandemic, a Facebook group was born where, there were now, where there's now over 100,000 members. And the group simply publishes when a case occurs in a school. They only publish confirmed cases in schools, and that is when a case is confirmed with a HSE letter or a message from the principal of the school. And despite NFET and the government trying their best to undermine this data, Martina and her small crew kept publishing the data and it is now actually the place where most parents go to to find out about cases in schools and, you know, wow, isn't that, isn't that interesting and isn't it amazing? However, even more interestingly, the group has managed to show up that NFET were basically lying about the number of cases in schools. NFET seem to be claiming that most school cases are called community cases and not counting them in their official figures for schools uh, for example in the Dublin case I was kind of talking about there just now it took four cases of four separate cases in the school before the HSE and NFET finally admitted that there might be a cluster within the school the first three were considered community, uh, cluster, uh, community um, cases Martina's work is most likely going to be used in the future when looking back at the pandemic if there's a another virus in the future but strangely enough people who should know better somehow still cling to the nfet data it kind of reminds me uh, in a way um of you know who provides you know what becomes more important is who provides the data rather than how accurate the data is and it reminds me of the national principles forum who produce um excellent data straight from principles and it's routinely ignored by people uh, who should know better than ignoring it number 15 covid checks from inspectors school inspectors to me are people who know a thing or two about education but they know very very little about public health and even less so about health and safety do you know why because they are qualified as educators but they're not qualified as health and safety inspectors funnily enough they're just called inspectors doesn't mean they're um remit goes beyond education, however that didn't stop the Department of Education from deploying them to perform COVID-19 inspections in schools. After a leaked presentation found its way online, it seemed that the inspectors were being told to land into schools to check that schools were following risk assessments and COVID-19 response plans. Now while the INTO completely ignored this fact and said they wouldn't comment, the IPPN reacted fairly violently once they learned it was true, but nobody actually stopped it from happening. So completely unqualified people visited schools judging whether the schools themselves were compliant with COVID-19. Now, I know the inspectors probably didn't want to be um, doing this job, um, and this, but I think more so, they didn't want to be redeployed back into classrooms, which was probably the best place for them given their qualifications and given that there's a substitute crisis. However, uh, given they didn't want to do that and it's clear that there was nothing for them to do, um, jobs basically were made up for them, including that one. And early in the pandemic, we were told as teachers, no, I'm sorry, the inspectors couldn't go back to their classrooms. They're very busy doing research. Funnily enough, I have not seen any evidence of the research yet. Number 16, the INTO claiming massive victories. Do you know what? I actually felt sorry for the INTO when the media were blaming them for stopping the reopening of schools because they really had nothing to do with that. Do You know, they actually did nothing to stop schools from reopening. And, you know, there's many examples of how they didn't actually have anything to do with the safety of schools opening and all. I, I'm just going to, you know, pluck one out of the air. And it was uh, before midterm break. And the INTO, in traditional style, what they do is they published these little press releases where they get all angry and and, you know sort of you know throwing their toys out of the pram uh, as such and they made five key demands of the government i'm going to go through all those five key demands and let's see if they actually did them here it is one the publication of the exact number of school staffs who have tested positive since September, categorized by school type, primary or special school, and by staff roles, mainstream, special education teacher and other non-class teachers, SNAs, school secretaries, caretakers, etc.), and the publication of the medical evidence supporting the continuation of attendance in school and staff who are pregnant or who are in the high-risk category of health. Guess what? Didn't happen. Oh, well. Maybe they got number two. A clear explanation of the difference between a close contact and a casual contact in a school setting must be set out. When HSC risk assessments are conducted following confirmation of a positive case in a school, there must be a direct consultation with all staff associated with the class in which the confirmed case is based. It is essential that the class and staff in question are tested within 24 hours and that they restrict movement until the testing and tracing process is complete. Okay. While well, the phrase casual contact became you know got retired and instead they changed it to community transmission so um oh anyway however in any case they also failed to get all staff and the class tested within 24 hours and in fact it took outbreaks in schools which weren't actually handled properly to do that and of course the INTO claimed they had succeeded which of course they didn't so let's see maybe they got one out of three an urgent review of the policy on the wearing of face coverings by pupils and school staff is now essential to provide up-to-date public health guidance on the use of this equipment in primary and special school settings so uh well um well nothing changed uh kids still don't wear face coverings and teachers have to provide their own ppe gear. so um zero out of three so far come on number four an additional suite of protective measures for primary and special schools in areas where level four of the government's framework applies including immediate banning of extracurricular activities the restriction of parents and guardians congregating at school grounds to a maximum of 15 mask wearing adults at any given time a strict no visitors policies for all schools and the provision of funding to ensure that teachers and pupils can engage with remote learning um so uh, that that didn't happen that didn't happen either um although to be fair we did not have a level four of lockdown, we skipped straight to level five. But also about the no visitors policy, we already had that in place, so nothing changed there. And then the extra funding for remote learning, yeah, we 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 didn't get any extra funding for remote learning. The the, the funding that came was the or normal funding that we always got come on one you know this is the fifth key oh come on they'll get one won't they an evidence-based public health decision on the status of primary and special schools where their communities are at level five to be communicated to education stakeholders including into after consultation and engagement by the end of october school staff and students who have done their utmost to adjust to the new reality of school life since the summer deserve as much protection as everyone else in society um well yeah it didn't happen either so um any uh, So I mean I suppose following that failure they published they published the following because you know obviously they had to respond to their five key demands and they said following pressure from the INTO through a coordinated political advocacy campaign and a robust media campaign the government has confirmed ...that the Department of Education will roll out a national network of dedicated public health teams for schools from next week... ...and the teams will be staffed by both public health and education department officials... ...and will provide a dedicated helpline for schools dealing with a positive case. Now, weirdly enough, this was what was already in place before the midterm break... ...and the only difference that schools felt was there was actually a different phone number to ring following a case. Uh, you know, that, that, there was no change... Anyway, they followed it with how they were really proud that they'd succeeded in their fierce negotiations to get to meet NFET every week. And, and yeah, they got to meet NFET every week. And I real, and I do know that at these meetings every week, NFET basically tell them to... I was about to... Yeah, I'm not allowed to swear in this um, podcast because children might listen to it. But they basically tell them to go away and stop trying to be public health uh, experts when they aren't. We're public health experts, they say. Can you please go away back into your box? And they come back every week and they say the same thing they also claimed they were going to get free flu vaccines for teachers and proper ventilation for schools and you won't be surprised that this didn't happen and you won't be surprised to hear that the INTO demanded that teachers would be prioritized for the COVID-19 vaccine and when we ended up near the bottom of the list under under frontline workers and even key workers they still claimed it as a victory well done INTO number 17 the mantra that schools are safe well, you couldn't go anywhere without people saying this. Anyway, any, you know, I, I I mean, you know, and, and, or maybe things like, sure isn't it lucky children don't spread the virus. Um, and try telling that to the schools where there was a case, which was funnily enough, generally spread by a child. But yes, because of the stringent measures that the government and the INTO had put in place, schools were one of the safest places you could be, quote unquote, uh, Leo Varadkar sure all we needed to do was keep the windows open for the whole day for ventilation and then the weather got cold so um sure they changed their mind and they said sure leave one owl window open there for about 10 minutes uh sometime during the day and sure jane back sure just leave it open a bit of a crack and you'll be grand yes schools are the safest place to be so safe that in a list drawn up by nfet in november schools were only the fifth most prominent place for covid 19 clusters yes they were, um, uh, they, they, they weren't the safest, fair enough, but we were only the fifth, uh, sorry, we weren't the safest at all, actually. We were the fifth least safe place uh, to be. Um, you know, homes were number one. Residential homes were number two, I think. Nursing homes were number three. Um, places like uh, direct provision were number four. We were number five. So in fact, you know, it was less safe to be in school than it would be in uh, restaurants or pubs and yes, hospitals. Number 18, the INTO crossword. Yes, the social media disaster that is the INTO's Twitter feed. Yet all the way through early August, when schools were trying desperately to find information about schools reopening, the INTO were tweeting about their monthly crossword competition and it actually became a running joke from INTO members that whenever there was an impending disaster such as going into level 5 of lockdown that the INTO would respond with a crossword and by the middle of the August um, there was no holidays by the middle of August the crossword tweets stopped they got the message However, unfortunately, it wasn't just crosswords that we were treated to by the INTO's Twitter feed in the middle of disasters. Yes, read the room, INTO, but no, we were treated to gardening tips and mortgage tips too. Weren't we the lucky ones um, as we scurried around trying to open our schools safely? Number 19, the RTE School Hub. One of the positive, and (laughs) I suppose by this stage, uh, you'll be wondering whether there be any positivity in this podcast, the rte school hub was one bright shining light which kept many parents sane before they went ahead um i i suppose before they carried it on far too long unfortunately it was the greatest uh kind of thing for parents to be honest with you this uh rte school hub where three teachers or three quality i don't know if they were actually uh, practicing teachers but three uh, rte presenters who were qualified teachers treated children every day to an hour of online of uh tv lessons and became mini celebrities in their own right um they carried on uh, when schools went back for one further series and i suppose uh it wasn't as popular then as it was unfortunately after all their good work uh they did go and spoil it all by saying something stupid like norma Hollies or "Norma Hollies norma foley's homework pass and talking uh yes this was um i suppose a sad end to such a brilliant idea when Norma Foley was invited on to the school hub to talk to Seamus the dog. And in the same interview, um, she uh, not only unleashed a homework pass, completely uh, misreading the fact that most primary schools weren't giving homework during a pandemic, but in the same interview, she also unleashed the second part of this disaster, which was Norma Foley's easel and this easel which uh, she couldn't stop thanking the ncad for uh, was to show art sent into her by the children of ireland and she would have them on her easel every day and before by the way kids i'm sorry she probably just shredded them day after without a single thought anyway on her first little video on twitter showing this lovely easel thank you ncad by the way for this easel Thank you, NCAD. Um, on this first little video on Twitter, she showcased her first pieces of art and she decided to pick her favourite piece of art, which was a very lovely picture of herself. Thanks, NCAD, for the easel. And finally, number 20, the INTO, my favourite story of all. And in fact, if I was doing a top 20, this would be my number one by far. The INTO Christmas Message. For me, the highlight of COVID-19 and 2020 came in the last few days with the INTO's Christmas email to its members. In probably one of the most amazing displays of arrogance I've actually seen from my union, up there with completely ignoring the legitimate vote of its members the year before, they believed so much in themselves that they deemed it appropriate to praise themselves when thanking their members for keeping the schools open. It has to be read to be believed, and I'm astounded that nobody in the organisation thought for one second how it might come across. But here is the bit of their email, or their message. This extraordinary year will go down in the history books. When our chapter is written, it will tell a story of dedicated professional teachers who went back to work... Oh, we were always working sorry we went back to work despite their personal anxieties and concerns to enable our schools to reopen now they should have shut up there but they didn't to enable our schools to reopen and a union that fought for the resources and safety protocols necessary to ensure this happened safely oh my gosh yeah unsurprisingly it was ridiculed now I don't usually laugh at the antics of the union but in a very tough week <laughs> I have to say it cheered me up I don't I laughed out loud when I read this I couldn't believe it It was um for me I suppose it summed up everything um I would have thought about our union uh it I it just it you know I I I created I mean look uh, if f- flags for front of my workers and gurmahade a good day were failures my attempt at a hashtag failed miserably too mine was into themselves into themselves you know anyway it, it didn't catch on but um it, it, to be honest with you uh i think the message really told us a lot about how the big boys in our um, in our organizations how the ministers how the unions how the representative bodies how the picture they're painting of the last 9 months um, is a very, very different picture to how people on the ground have been feeling. And I think the uh, this message from the INTO summed it all up. And if I was uh, putting, um, if I was creating a minister's easel, uh, thank you very much, NCAD for providing us with the easel. Um, if I was providing that easel, uh, I think, and I put my top message on that, it would be the message uh, that the INTO sent out to its members because it represents everything. Uh, that our representatives our stakeholders our um our government believe about their own um success in uh, the in the last number of months and how we in the reality would laugh at the fact so i suppose as we come past the hour beyond the hour here we're coming up to the hour wh- what will 2021 bring before the summer holidays in june because i guess You know, I'm only doing nine months of the pandemic. We still have another six months of this to get through. Will we even get to June without the schools closing? And as I'm recording this episode, the Chief Medical Officer, Tony Holohan, for the first time in a very long time, is suggesting that schools aren't as safe as he's been saying all along. And with loads of schools across Europe and loads of uh, countries across Europe closing their schools in January, it would be very strange if we became the outliers, given that we have the largest class sizes in the EU and we've basically put nothing in place to make schools safer. The system, as usual, is relying on the goodwill of school leaders, teachers and SNAs to keep sucking up ever-increasing demands whether it's principals being on call for 24 hours a day for contact tracing, teachers being asked to go back to normal despite not being able to do so safely, SNAs putting their health on the line every day by sucking up the fact that a child with a virus will almost certainly spread the virus to them, the government has not bothered to create any provision for remote learning whatsoever instead basically telling schools to do their own thing without giving any extra funding to do it. And the trouble with all this reliance on goodwill is it has to stop at some point and it results in burnout if it doesn't. And the atmosphere, i have to say and i'm not talking about my own school here because i uh, i'm in plenty of group uh, principal groups and where, where principals talk about their schools the atmosphere in schools around this time of the year usually outside of 2020 is one of excitement looking forward to holidays and i know it's not the same this year but you know this year everyone is just simply crawling to the finish line teaching to me and I've said this before, is a job that I can only compare to acting in a theatre. As a teacher, you're basically an actor on the stage. You have to entertain your audience for a whole show, and your show lasts for five hours and 40 minutes with a couple of breaks. Our shows are slightly different to actors, because apart from doing the acting, we also have to write our entire script and not only that in a real theater the audience generally pays to be there and wants to be there but in our classrooms half the audience isn't really that interested in being there and we have to make ourselves even more entertaining some of our audience actually need assistance throughout the, throughout our performances to even be there. But unlike a theater, we don't have very many. We don't have enough people to help that audience access what we're doing up on stage. So we're we're basically expected to not only do the acting, but also to look after the needs of some of our audience who can't even sit down throughout the performance. But we also have to be the security because there's some uh, of our audience are not going to behave themselves. People spend their time giving out about teacher holidays, but I never see them calling actors lazy when they're not on their stage. And why is that? Because people understand that actors have to take time off stage to prepare for their performances. And unless we're actually on stage, it's assumed we're doing nothing. But enough about whinging for me, because I've gone off totally off point and it's nothing to do with 2021. That's our job all the time. So what I did was I asked my Twitter followers for their predictions for 2021 and i only gave them an hour but i had loads of responses and if i thought i was going to be able to end 2020 on a high with some positivity uh, for 2021 i was mistaken almost every single post that went on my twitter feed believes that we're just basically in for more of the same burnout was the was basically the you the word used most of all in all the tweets one principal, uh, I admit, did try to be positive, and she suggests the following. This is her tweet: "A staffing schedule is significant improvement for schools. Student teachers to access paid sub work and counted as placement with flexible online college learning during COVID-19. More supply panels and keeping sub cover for all teacher absences." I wished, I really wish that could be true. I don't even reckon teacher pr- teaching principals are going to keep their one day a week at admin release time after this is over personally i think nothing is going to change and after the holidays we are going to basically be crawling again except this time we'll be crawling towards a vaccine the euphoria or possibly the relief of the vaccine being released uh, into our society i imagine will probably be enough as we start getting society back to normality where we can hug our families go to concerts and travel again to other countries i also don't think covid19 will change us very much as a profession for me to be honest with you and i suppose i'm speaking my own opinion here covid19 has shone a light or held up a mirror whichever cliche you want to use to the huge issues that are in primary education and the complexities that we find ourselves in normal times and they became sometimes they became national news during covid19 however as a result did anything really change schools are still competing with each other for enrollments Patron bodies are still battling it out to be awarded a license to indoctrinate children in whatever faith formation they give to their children. Primary schools are still receiving significantly less funding than their second-level counterparts. Children with additional needs continue to have their resources cut year after year. Our representative bodies continue eating their prawn sandwiches and roast chicken dinners with the Department of Education officials. Small schools keep closing. The workload on all school staff keeps coming. And we all suck it up because even with a global pandemic, in reality, with very few exceptions, when push comes to shove, we don't do anything about it. If we want 2021 to be a better year for people working in schools, we all have to act together. We know at this point our representative bodies no longer represent our views. So we need to establish alternative ways to ram the message through that enough is finally enough there are groups out there that do represent your views and all they need is active support the pandemic has brought two weapons into the mainstream that we can use social media and video and when i say video i mean video conferencing arranging meetings these days no longer requires traveling across the country everything can be done online in the early part of the pandemic we had webinars and seminars where over 1000 people could sit together virtually listening to experts in certain areas there is no reason why this cannot uh, be moved uh, to democratize um, our profession and form campaigns we can bring people together as on webinars on zoom or wherever, whatever different platforms to start democratizing our profession and ultimately for me That's my hope for 2021. It's to re-establish a democracy within our education system, which we no longer have. We have allowed our representative bodies to cement themselves as theocratic organisations, to such a point that they are coming out with the most baffling things like Guru Mahagutte and claiming that when history books are written, they themselves will be recognised for their brilliance. So in 2021, what I hope for is that we will start writing the narrative. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll be back in 2021 with new episodes of If I were the Minister for Education tackling issues such as why we need a supplementary a supplementary panel, should we have specialized Guelga teachers and should we finally scrap drama as a subject amongst many many more topics. Be sure to tune in every Friday evening when I release the podcasts and they can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and any other podcasting apps by searching for Unshaws Podcast or if I were the Minister for Education. I'd really appreciate you subscribing to podcasts so each new episode will be available to you immediately after its release. Please also feel free to review my podcast so others can find it more easily. Look, normally at this time of the year, when I'm wishing my pupils well for the holidays, I make sure to say you know something along the lines i'm in an educate together school so we we try and include everybody um that you know whatever you're celebrating whether it's christmas hanukkah Kwanzaa, or just even some time away and a bit of time off i hope you have a great time but given that you're likely to be a teacher listening to this it's probably safe for me just to wish you a happy christmas given that 99 percent of you uh, um, i suppose <laughs> identify as christians look i don't expect 2021 to bring any diversity into profession but it's always my hope so whatever you're having yourself have a lovely time have a lovely break hopefully we can have a break hopefully there'll be no uh, sanitizers uh, breaking down or whatever and uh well, I hope to see you in 2021. Have a lovely break, as I said. Thanks for listening in 2020. Glad to be back for it. And we'll see you in the new year. Bye-bye.